Welcome back to the Breakwater Podcast. This is episode four of seven in our series with Sandy. This episode is all about schools. Sandy shares her thoughts on how the transition into and back out of virtual schooling has impacted students, teachers, and parents. She offers some tips on how we can best manage these transitions now and looking forward into the coming school year. Sandy is up next. Welcome back to episode four in your series. Thank you. Can you introduce yourself a little bit for anyone who may be joining the series late or not already know who you are? Absolutely. So I'm Sandy Schaefer and I am in partnership with Collaborative Wellness as a clinician for outpatient services for mental health and substance use. So I spent many years working in residential substance abuse treatment and I decided my passion really is to do outpatient and to do private practice so that is what I have done so I am happy to be working in the community helping provide mental health services along with substance abuse. Awesome and we're so happy to have you not only in our community but doing this podcast series with us. Well, thank you. Today is a big one. We're talking about how the change from traditional school to virtual school to hybrid to fully in person, but with a lot of changes has impacted our kids attention span and general mental health and attitude around school. It's a big one. It's a very big one. So in March 2020, we all made the transition to virtual schooling due to the safer at home order. Parents, students, teachers, everyone kind of thought, okay, it's 30 days. We can do anything for 30 days, right? Then as we got closer and closer to the 30-day mark, we all kind of realized that our kids weren't going back into the physical classroom anytime soon and probably not for the duration of the 2020 school year. Then comes the next school year. And a lot of schools continued with virtual or hybrid model. Talk to me about the social, emotional, mental health challenges you saw in youth as the transition to virtual classrooms took place last March, and then the summer spent in quarantine, and re-entering a new school year in a virtual or hybrid model. Wow, like you said, it's a big one. (laughs) Yeah. So there were various schools right in Winnebago County that chose to do various models. Um, I live in the Oshkosh area school district so my kids very much experienced all of this. You know the big thing that we know is children thrive on structure. Like they will push it right. They don't necessarily embrace it but they thrive on structure. Well Their world was turned upside down in many ways. So that structure really was gone. That human connection was gone, which resulted in a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, not just with students, but also with parents at large because the parents didn't know either. And then, of course, the parents are affected with work and daycares and babysitters. And, you know, it was this huge ripple effect. 
But I think for students, as resilient as children are, and they are, they're absolutely resilient, their safety was gone. Yeah. In many aspects. I mean, it was, the structure was gone for some. School was an escape from an unhealthy environment at home. Sure. So they no longer had that. And we know from the numbers and working in the community, there was, of course, the rise on alcohol use and violence in the home and domestic violence and suicide. So all of those things have been on the rise. And then to place a student or a child or young adult in that environment 24-7, really, many times unsupervised, so their structure was completely gone, right? Yeah. Because sometimes there wasn't even an adult in the home to really provide that structure during those times. So during virtual schooling, many students didn't show up. They Some showed up, but they weren't necessarily paying attention. Or it was really difficult for them to engage and learn. We know there's diff- various ways people learn things, right? It's hearing it. It's doing it. And there was no interaction to be able to really demonstrate some of those things. Sure. So, of course, those were all huge obstacles. So I think as we've seen with the people we serve, I mean, anxiety has been a huge issue, depression, and just really those fears of the unknown. Yeah, and it was a lot, like you said, it was a lot for the adults to handle. And on top of that, having kids home from school, lack of daycare or changes in daycare and environments was a lot, I think, for everybody. Absolutely. Because it also produced a lot of anxiety and depression and fears in adults. Because we didn't know and we didn't know what the best choices were and what we should be supporting or not supporting and what recommendations to listen to and how we could implement that and how mine may differ from yours or the next person. And it became difficult, again, in that relationship aspect of friendships and coworkers and committees and all of, you know, neighborhoods on what was right or what was wrong. Yeah. And like we talked about in the coping skills episode too, like, I mean, I think we all found something, not all of us found healthy things, at least not right away. There's a study that came out recently, and I'll link it in the show notes for anyone who's interested, but it was a study on Wisconsin families. And I forget the numbers right off the top of my head, but the long and short of it is that at the beginning of the pandemic, parents in that were included in the survey were not allowing their middle or high school children to drink alcohol within the home. Yes. By the end of the survey, there was definitely that shift from not allowing children under the age of 21 and really under the age of 18 to consume alcohol in a family environment pre-pandemic or in the early days of the pandemic, where now just recently when they were resurveyed, they were allowing children to drink in a family setting within the home. And I think this just says a lot about some of the ways in which many families in our area ended up coping with the pandemic and with the uncertainty and the, you know, not feeling secure in their job or food insecurity or housing insecurity or any of those things. 
And that's just what they went to, unfortunately. Well, and I think it's telling, kind of, of course, maybe not, but I think it's really telling that early on liquor stores were found to be essential, mm-hmm. but rec- recovery clubs, <clears throat> recovery clubs were not. Yeah, that was crazy. And so the people who are struggling with overconsumption or addiction lost their support, but yet liquor stores were wide open. Yeah. Yeah, that was crazy. And I think that says, like you're saying, it's kind of a nod to just the culture around alcohol. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So screen time and attention spans in the time Mm -hmm. of COVID and virtual hybrid school learning. We learned in our last episode with Lindsay Lowy that, you know, pre-COVID, it was limits on screen time, no screen time for certain ages and really kind of structure around there. And then with the transition to virtual school, it's like all screens all day. And that's really your only connection to the outside world. Our kids got used to spending much less time on task with virtual platforms. Absolutely. And now I'm wondering... How are students adjusting to going back to seven-hour school days? Well, I think overall many are doing okay. I know there are some students that have very much struggled. So I can speak for, you know, some of the students that I know as well as some of, you know, be it friends, kids, or my own kids. Some were super excited Like, finally, I get to see my friends. I get to do this. But for young kids that hadn't necessarily experienced a seven-hour school day and didn't necessarily have a whole lot of structure behind the virtual, right, the elementary kids, the idea of returning for seven hours a day, like, that's a long time. And to think about, you know, the start of the 2019-2020 school year, it was never a question of how's my kid going to do going to school full time overall. And then now kids of all ages started to question like, I have to do this all day. Yeah. So exhausting because I believe the teachers, the school district did the best they could as far as the virtual or the hybrid or whatever Mm -hmm. platform they were using but in the same aspect, the learning's different. Yeah. The time actually spent engaged is different. So for students, they didn't even necessarily know what they were going to be doing seven hours a day. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad you said that that way because I don't want to discount the work that the teachers and the school districts had poured into this. And there is clearly a difference between managing a physical classroom oh gosh and managing a virtual classroom or managing virtual learning for a mix of students who have a mix of technology and resources and connectivity challenges and I think anybody who has had to transition from their normal office setting to a virtual office setting can understand those challenges as well mm-hmm. with it just a transition to zoom or whatever platform you use. And I mean, the internet is the internet and it's yeah. not infallible and connection issues happen and technology just 
is and it isn't some days and um just the fatigue from being on camera all the time it's a different feeling than being in a room with people absolutely well and I can even speak for myself so when I you know took the leap into private practice full-time we were virtual yeah and there are so many needs, of course, with our community as far as mental health and substance use. I would be spending six, seven hours a day on a virtual platform doing therapy. My eyes and my brain and my body, honestly, from sitting in one position all day yeah. is exhausted. And it's hard to keep up kind of that tempo and the motivation to help others and to really stay present, right? We talked about staying present. All of those, th- all of those things became difficult. Yeah. And I'm an adult. Yeah. Like my kids don't necessarily know how to regulate those things or, you know, they had to keep track of their schedule of what hours they had actual live classes versus when they didn't and what day of the week it was and you know, Wednesdays, they didn't have any live classes, but they still had homework to do. And it was, you know, it was an A day day or a B day. And all of those things that, I mean, I give the students and the teachers so much credit for. I mean, there were a wealth of communication with emails and all of those things. But as a parent, I also didn't necessarily want to put all of that on my kids. Yeah. Right. So it was a matter of kind of going through the emails and making sure the kids were prepared and they knew what was going on in their classes. And it was, it was difficult. It was stressful, you know, and I think of how many single parents are out there that are working that it's like, well, how do I even do this? Yeah. And with multiple kids and every kid is on a different schedule and it's a lot for sure for both kids to take care of and keep track of and parents to oversee and, make sure and kind of keep tabs on making sure that everything is happening when it's supposed to happen and their kids have what they need and the school's getting what they need and right I can't imagine being a teacher trying to do it I really truly can't I mean how do you show up every day trying to get kids motivated when you can't physically engage them yeah you know I remember one of my one of my daughters had virtual Fiat class, right? Gym class. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what are you doing? And all of a sudden, one day she's outside with her Chromebook and she's going on a scavenger hunt and running in and out of the house, grabbing things. And I was like, kudos to them. Like, yeah. that's, you know, you have to get creative. And there's so much pressures, I think, on the students, but as the teachers. And it's just... Yeah. And then the parents as well, because we don't want our kids to fall behind and we want to make sure they're getting what they need. And for me personally, I was less stressed about like the academic piece of it and how that was affecting my kids. I was more concerned about the social piece of it, the mental health piece of it. Like we know human connection is what keeps us going. We need that even for all the introverts of the world like you still need human connection yeah and so when that wasn't happening I'm like how are these people gonna know the coping skills the emotional self-management the regulation 
you know, there's no problem solving when you're on a screen. Yeah. You know, there's no fights at recess or disagreements on the bus. So then they're missing that as well. It just, it was so much bigger than just academics. Yeah. And I I feel like there was a lot of conversation around, especially the younger kids, Mm -hmm. really missing the opportunity to develop some of those social skills and just in general, the school skills of like waiting in line and listening to the teacher and how to function within a classroom space. But equally important for middle and high schoolers in in you know, developing or fine-tuning those social skills and really understanding your place in the world and having the opportunity to observe and be a part of that social structure. Which is so true. I can tell you a majority of our young adults and, and younger, one of the biggest concerns we heard was well, are my friends still going to be my friends when we go back to school? Yeah. Am I going to have a place to sit at lunch? Am I going to have a friend to play with at recess? Like these were the the fears and anxieties. It wasn't necessarily, am I going to know how to do math? Mm-hmm. Right. It was the the social connection that really empowers all students to want to learn and to engage and build that self confidence. And they were worried about things that I don't think many people realized it wasn't seven hours a day. It was, am I going to have friends? Are my friends still going to be my friends? I haven't seen them in a year. Yeah. And I, I have other friends in, in other school districts who did go back to in-person, but they had these social groups and there was a lot of concern with the kids of if my best friend isn't in my social group If I can't play with them at recess, like, I don't want to go to school. I don't want to be there. This is awful because that was their prime. Like, in some ways, learning is secondary, right? And like you're saying, the seven hours a day, the the high points of that were being able to play on the playground with your best friend or eat lunch with them and find out how their weekend was or what their plans are for this week or, I don't know, talk about dinosaurs or whatever things second graders talk about and, and not necessarily the time on task of we're working on this subject or this assignment. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as far as like circling back to, you know, the virtual platform and attention span, I think overall people's attention spans got shorter, right? It was more difficult to pay attention to 30 minutes of a teacher trying to teach you something. Yeah much less to go then back to the classroom and have to sit for that long when you haven't practiced that for months. Yeah. You know, I remember seeing my kids carrying their Chromebook around, walking around the house, and I'm like, don't you have a class? They're like, yeah, I'm on it. But even to be in class and, you know, they're walking around the house, and I'm like, what's going on? But for them, it's like I can't sit in that chair any longer. Yeah. You know, there's there's a lot to be said with just how our bodies function you know the how important recess is and gym class and art and getting in touch with the creative side of your brain that is really hard to do when you're doing a computer session all day long yeah well and even just managing the distractions when you're staring at your computer all day I mean you have to force yourself you have to be really disciplined to shut down email shut down social media or whatever web browsers you have open shut down all those things And as an adult, that's hard to manage. 
Absolutely. It's, it's hard to be on a Zoom meeting and not zone out and think about the 7,000 things you're not doing where if you're in a traditional office setting and you walk into the conference room for a meeting, you're phys- in the same physical space. You may or may not have your laptop top out in front of you to take notes or whatever, but you're more apt to be present there in the moment than you are over Zoom where maybe they can kind of tell if you're looking at something else, but either way you're looking at the computer screen, right? Right, exactly. And I think that... You know, it goes back to developing coping skills and the social, emotional intelligence aspect of it. You know, I had mentioned it in that first podcast when we did talk about, you know, emotional intelligence at at length, that that shows success, long-term success in a person more so than just natural IQ does. Yeah. And I think that that's so interesting but I also think many people don't understand like don't realize that don't know that that yes our children are going to school to learn academics but they're being taught all these other skills that are going to influence how successful they are yeah that's a really good point that's a really good point and I feel like when people express concern over like how are we going to get through a seven-hour school day or do they really need to be there for seven hours Mm -hmm. if they're you know, expected time on tasks throughout virtual schooling is less than that. But yeah, you're not taking account for all of those other in-school experiences that you're getting alongside the, you know, the quote-unquote time on task or academic learning. Absolutely. Well, and even for adults, right? Like we mm-hmm. even not being in the office place, like those are your coworkers. You spend more time with your coworkers than you do typically your partner, yeah. your spouse, your kids. Because you're there, you know, seven, eight, 12 hours a day, whatever it is for people. So now that's stripped of some people. Yeah. You know, big corporations going completely virtual. Yeah. And you can definitely sense that that kind of that almost grieving that social connection, right? Grieving that loss and like missing that connection with your coworkers. But on the flip side of it, you have, you know, maybe where you were in office previous to this and you're like, this meeting could have been an email, <laughs> but now that's like, well, this Zoom could have been an email. Yeah. Um, and it's like, so it's that weird balance of missing that social connection and being in the same physical space with other people alongside the, this could have been less or yes. this could have been less of my day. And that's a weird kind of intersection. Well, it's finding balance, I think. You know, I think it's, there are, are really great things that have come out of COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, I think just what you're talking about, that maybe we spend too much time in meetings versus emails or a quick phone call. But as far as our kids go in the virtual, you know, the screen time and the virtual platform or the in-person, and I think going back to school is or back to work is a complete overstimulation for most people. Yeah. Because it's one thing to sit even on your computer for three hours a day in your home, which for most is relatively quiet, or you at least have your bedroom or a little bit of a safer spot. And then you go back to the office or you go back to the school and there's so much noise and so much chaos and uncertainty and anxiety and fear and all of these things that, 
then you lose that emotional regulation also because it's that overstimulation, which oftentimes then, of course, leads to behaviors yeah. that need to be managed. And, you know, it's difficulty paying attention still and so forth. But I think people forget that piece of it, too. Like, you have to go back to the coping skills and the self-awareness and what am I really feeling and what's really going on versus it being in person being the problem. Yeah. So what advice do you have for parents or really even teachers or, or, or kids or anybody on how we can help or how we can best manage or navigate the changes while keeping our mental health a priority. (laughs) Like we know that when we go back into the office or when we go back into the school setting, there's going to be that overstimulation, that background noise, just all that stuff. How do, how can I manage that and navigate that while keeping my mental health a priority? Well, ideally it's also the stuff you've learned while being at home, right? And managing all of those things at home, it may, it may not be overstimulation, but it's the change. It's managing change yeah, and going back to being flexible and understanding and sitting in a space of grace, maybe, or compassion. For this, there's parents and students that have chosen to stay completely virtual Mm -hmm. during this time. And I think it goes back to breathing Literally, breathing, (laughs) Um, being kind to ourselves and what our expectations are, not only of ourselves, but of maybe the student or the teachers or the boss or the coworker. Um, I think it's really important that some of our expectations maybe be adjusted. Um, As we talked about with Lindsay Lowy on our last podcast about screen time, You know, we know how important, and it has been put out there time and time again, to really kind of limit screen time pre-COVID, right? Because we know it affects the brain, how the brain functions. And then we're thrown into virtual and screen time and so forth. One of the things that's important now that the kids are back in school is also to remember that that is an overstimulation for them. So they may need a brain break mm-hmm. or downtime once they get home from school. You know, a change in the routine of, okay, do your homework as soon as you get home from school may not be effective for them to do their best work because they need a break. Yeah. Because they're not used to paying attention or being engaged for hours during the day. So it's looking at what are my expectations? Are they realistic? Yeah. And just because it was something, a routine that you did in the pre-COVID time, is it going to work still? Yeah. You know, is it more important for the kids to get out and play or read a book that's not school related or watch a television show or whatever it is and to, to give themselves kind of that time to decompress and then maybe go back and, okay, now I'm going to do my homework. Yeah. Because during virtual or hybrid, they kind of did it as their day went, right? There wasn't a whole lot of after school expectations as far as homework or projects or those types of things. So 
they did their school and then it was like the day was theirs. Yeah. So now all of that time is gone. So to to start regulating back to that self-awareness piece and I honestly think it's an, as important for the students as it is for the teachers and staff and coworkers and business people. Everyone is just a matter of taking some breath. You know, if it's a matter of before you walk into that meeting, sitting and taking three deep breaths to center yourself again, like that, those are the things that you can practice at home, in the car, at work, whatever it is. But it's just so important to help with that transition. Yeah. Well, let's talk about teachers for a minute. I cannot imagine that teachers are happily bouncing through this season of virtual or hybrid classrooms, masks, trying to connect with students. How are our teachers doing and what can we do to support them? Well, first and foremost, teachers are amazing. I cannot imagine being a teacher and, (laughs) you know, you, you go to school for this long period of time and you're, you practice how you teach for, for some years and years. And then you're told, I mean, basically you're put in a situation where none of that is what you're going to be doing. Yeah. So many had to relearn teaching styles even. So the commitment to the students has been beautiful you know, as far as how are the teachers doing, I don't know. I would love <laughs> to say that they're doing well and that they feel supported and that, I, you know, they're still doing what they love. For teachers, it's about the kids, right? Yeah. So for a long time, there wasn't that true connection with their students. Because even this school year we're in now, I mean, it was at least for Oshkosh, I mean, it was a couple of weeks where there was actual physical in school, but then there wasn't. Yeah. So it's hard to build rapport and make those connections and get kids excited to learn. And the things that kind of drive a teacher's perspective. You know, I think part of the difficulty then as well as now is the limited in-school resources. And when I say that, it's access, right, to be it counselors coming into the schools or advocates or some people who are involved with other services, guest speakers, those types of things that In some of the schools, they're not found to be essential, so that makes it really difficult. When they were virtual, you know, checking out a book in the library. Yeah. Because Oshkosh Library wasn't fully open. I mean, you could get books, but it's not like it was a safe place to go sit and read a book, or the children's area was, you know, it wasn't open. It wasn't accessible. So those things, again, it goes back to that human connection, right? But I think it, there's no pep rallies. Yeah. Sports got all shifted around and some were canceled and some now are playing at the opposite end of the school year. You know, football's now going on. That's typically a fall sport. You know, there's those types of things that 
it goes back to what we're talking about. Like that's a huge piece for students. It's not just the academics, it's the experience. So then there's not homecoming and there's not prom and just certain school functions that I think are really crucial in the experience because of the social connectedness piece. Yeah. I think the other part, you know, how can we support the teachers? Reach out. Thank them. Yeah. Send them a thank you card or a thank you email even. I think those small gestures go such a long way to, you know, the idea of sitting down and writing a quick thank you card to a teacher and saying, you're amazing. My kid loves you. And I'm so grateful for what you're doing. It's going to go a long way when there's so much chaos and stress day to day with teachers and kids and parents and all of that. And I think it's important for us to recognize that and recognize really, truly how wonderful the the teachers, office staff, school counselors, maintenance guys, whatever it is, they're doing a phenomenal job in a really chaotic time that all of us really thrive on human connection yeah and to be told hey I appreciate you like you're doing a good job those that goes a long way and I think that's one of the ways you can support the the schools the teachers I think it's a matter of just really some you know sometimes it's a matter of maybe you want to volunteer and be a substitute teacher or help with handing out lunches yeah you know those types of things that it takes less it takes more off of the expectations of teachers or school staff that I just think is really super important yeah and taking even a few minutes like you said like the amount of the impact that you have with a handwritten note or just taking a time, two seconds out of your day to write an email that for no other reason than just to say thank you. Yes. Not asking for anything, not, you know, just to say thank you, taking the time out of your day. I think it's really undervalued how much that impacts somebody and how powerful that can be just taking out of the time out of your day to do that. I agree. And I think it's, and to remind your yourself to do the same thing for your, your coworkers yeah. or your kids like thank you for being so patient today when things were really chaotic or you know thanks for helping me out because I had to stay home with my kid because they're now quarantined like thanks for taking over my workload yesterday or whatever it is but to genuinely be grateful yeah and I think maybe like you're talking about earlier that's there are some good things that have come out of COVID right and maybe us all just being a little bit easier on ourselves and each other, allowing that time and space for a little grace yes. and gratitude, hopefully will be something that sticks around. I hope so, because that's, it's beautiful, right? It's being kind to each other. I think the random act of kindness can go so far that we don't even know how we touch someone else when we do those things. Yeah, And it's beautiful. And it's going back to kindness and compassion and grace. For ourselves, our kids, our schools, our employers, all of it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, and even that just in of itself, right, speaks volumes of school and the benefits of having that in-school connection of you, you don't really know how your actions or your behaviors, you know, good or bad, really uh, impact somebody else until maybe years down the line or maybe even not at all. Right. But it shouldn't stop us from doing them. Correct. Well, thank you so much today again, Sandy, for talking about kind of just the transition, the back and forth and how to best manage it as adults and children, because it definitely impacts us both. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.